You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 18, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at bleedinggreennation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Here with me, as always, to break down quarterbacks around the league in the draft is QB1 in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Mark. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, buddy. Doing well. Doing well. Excited to uh, excited about today's topic. We're going to hit a bunch of different things, so that's going to be fun. Let's kick things off with a bit of a sort of historical reference, and I want to talk about Prime Minister's questions, <laughs> okay? Because if you haven't seen them, if you haven't watched, it, 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 they actually air on C-SPAN. It's a part of the British Parliament where every Wednesday, the members of Parliament get to ask the Prime Minister a question. Robert Williams actually described Parliament as Congress with a three-drink minimum. And that's basically what it is. I mean, if you want to see lawmakers just like yell at each other and be rude, I mean, Prime Minister's Questions is fantastic. And it actually dates back to like the 1880s. Mm. They started doing this. But it used to be – first, it could be like any day, any time, any session of Parliament. Then it was shortened to like twice a week. Churchill did that on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then Tony Blair actually changed it to the current format, which is Wednesday at noon, one 30-minute session. And did you know, Mr. Kiss, (laughs) that regardless of everything else that they talk about, there is always one question that is asked first. And that question is this. Mr. Speaker – what are the prime minister's engagements for the day? Mm. They basically ask, yo, what are you doing? <laughs> and what they they have to do that because it tees up like if he is engaged in a couple of different things and they get to like frame their questions around that. It's, it's a tricky thing about parliamentary law. But prime minister questions, they're fantastic. They're super funny to watch. They usually air like on C-SPAN. They re-air it like Sunday nights at like 1130 Back when I was a lawyer, like the last thing I would watch before going to bed was I would watch Prime Minister's Question because I'd feel a little bit better about my life because <laughs> at least I wasn't doing that. No, those are absolutely hysterical. And you're going to hear some audio of that, gentle listeners, because we took some questions from you about our topic today. We're talking all about Carson Wentz. We're going to take some of your questions. You're going to hear some fantastic Prime Minister questions. We're going to call it the, what was it, the Prime Listeners Prime Questions? Prime Listeners Questions, I believe. Yes. And we demand Order. Order. So, I love him, man. They're just it's it's like the the rabble 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 from South Park. And he's just yeah. in the middle of it, just just yelling, Order. Did you see the thing? Because they've got the whole Brexit thing going on, and we don't need to go down that road, but there was a <laughs> member of parliament that stole the mace. Did you see this? What? <laughs> they have like this huge, like ornamental mace that they like, you know, it's like a big pole. It's it's basically like a festivus pole. And you can't have a session of Congress, I mean, a session of Parliament, unless that is there, apparently. Because it, like, it's supposed to sort of – it stands for the crown. Right. The, the crown is there so we can actually discuss and debate. So this dude just jacked it. 
and walked out and they couldn't have they couldn't have the session of parliament they eventually like ordered them back it, you can find it on youtube it's amazing but like yeah with brexit right now parliament is just it's like almost much watched tv that mace thing is like some florida man stuff and, and i know you've oh, I, seen the florida man tweet out there where you put yes. your birthday into google and and florida man like type out florida man and then you take the headline and, and you're that florida man and mark i got Florida man gets second victory at the Supreme Court, which is a hero's tale, an underdog I mean, tale. It really is. <laughs> like, first of all, the rest of us alcoholics out here are very, very appreciative that you won your case to get alcoholism like defined as a disability. Like, we're all <laughs> we're all happy for you, buddy. There was another headline in there in that same search that was Florida man chugs beer during a DUI check. <laughs> I got, let's see, I got Florida man dons Spider-Man mask during liquor store robbery. And the other one was Florida man arrested after fight over straw at McDonald's. Which, and yeah, you can see I mean, how that could happen. I live in Florida. It happens. Like yeah. that could have been like multiple birthdays. I think a lot of people got the, those two specifically. But yeah, I mean, and then you're looking through the like the, the Google searches for it. The one that stood out to me, and I, I sent you this article. I noticed the headline from the Miami Herald. It reads, quote, Jacksonville baseball team to host Florida man night, unquote. Uh, it's a special law-breaking night being held by the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. I can't make this up. They claim that they will attempt to break a weird Florida law every inning. The team tweeted out that there will be lawyers in the house. Uh, other promotions include several other theme nights like the world's largest cocktail sauce party, ramen noodle night, halfway to pumpkin spice night on April 27th. The other one that I love, in June 2016, there was You Might Be the Father's Day where they handed out pregnancy tests so you could find out if you are pregnant in the bathroom of a Jacksonville jumbo shrimp. Is that a story you would tell your kid someday? <laughs> Mommy, when did you find out that you were going to have a baby? Well, we went to a promotional night at the uh, Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, and <laughs> they were just handing out pregnancy tests. And you were our little bundle of joy. Look, that baby is just another future Florida man. He totally understands it. Nothing stands out as a regular for him. You know what's amazing? In the article, that Miami Herald piece, there's a video, Dumb Criminals Florida Edition, a oh, compilation boy. video showing some of Florida's dumbest criminals in action. And it's two minutes long, and it's <laughs> worth every second. Love it. I mean, if there is an Oscar for short clip compilation video <laughs> this should win yeah just put in put in florida man june 18th that's my birthday and you'll see that in like the top five results it's amazing uh mark we should talk about quarterbacks right we should i guess <laughs> <laughs> it's a show about football <laughs> so it's 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 not the florida man show it's the carson wedge show it's all about Wentz. we're taking a break from the draft talk and we're going to talk about the future of the eagles at the quarterback position we dug into some film we sniffed around the analytics it's time to talk about what we saw from Wentz in 2018 what we expect in 2019 and i'll tell you this mark coming into the season last year I had agreed with the sentiment that was out there. Uh, it was floating around that Wentz would see a statistical regression of sorts, which I'll tell you, wasn't exactly popular at the time of publication, but there was plenty of reason to suggest that he might not see the same just bombastic production. First off, his touchdown percentage in 2017 yeah. 
7.5% led the league by nearly a full percent. It was like 0.9%. Just a wild number. Only Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson topped that last year. You have to go all the way back to 2014 before you get another number that tops it, which funnily enough was Tony Romo. What I'm saying is here, that's a top four number in the past five years. So regression shouldn't be shouldn't have been out of the question there. You also had the Eagles red zone production, which was just blistering, scoring a touchdown 66% of their visits. Uh, you had to think that was going to take a slight hit, and it did, down to 58%. And the Eagles just bonkers money down conversion rates, 42% of the time on third down, 66% of the time on fourth down. That's just insane. Those took slight hits as well. In both those categories, money down, and red zone. Those were the major places where you saw Wentz take a dip in QB rating uh, in 2018. I think a lot of that stems from, and I, and I saw this on Pro Football Focus on their QB annual, uh, a drop in his big time throw percentage going down by over half in those categories from 2017 to 2018. All of the 2017 success was done with Wentz as a big time thrower who extended plays and did amazing things both in structure and out of structure. And a key component to him creating out of structure came from his mobility. And you'd be foolish to expect him to have the same escapability less a year removed from major knee surgery. And while there weren't as many like frequent or as physically impressive plays as there were in 2017, he still had moments where he flashed in 2018. So Mark, let's kind of take a wide view look here uh, over the documented two-year period and into the unknown for the third year for this show. Does his fall from spectacular to solid? From 2017 to 2018, and that's my wording, not yours. So if you disagree, let me know. But was that drop off from year to year? Did that have a good deal to do with less out of structure plays due to a more athletically limited Wentz? And should we expect an uptick of that next year? I think so. And we've talked about this a little bit. When you lose, when you suffer a knee injury as a quarterback or a low body injury, it is going to take some time to get that confidence back in that throwing base. And that impacts both in the pocket and outside of the pocket, on structure, off structure. If you go back and see Tennessee game, I forget which week that was, the Indy game, that was his first sort of start. Indy was week three, Tennessee was week four. There was some hesitancy there. There was some insecurity about his knee and his throwing base. And that's to be expected. You saw it similarly with Deshaun Watson. You know, he had a similar sense, even though he started week one, he was not Deshaun Watson week one in that game against New England. And so, and we covered Watson before on a previous show before the Texans game. And we talked about that. And then he made strides throughout the season yeah. to get better, which makes sense with the timing of it. Right. And and to that point, rewatching once last night, my favorite game of his was probably that week 13 game against Washington mm. because you had yeah. that early touchdown, that red zone play where he starts to climb, he's flushed, moves to his right keeps his eyes in the middle of the field and then finds somebody in the back right corner of the end zone for a touchdown. And then later in the game, you know, he it's a play action where he has sort of a half roll situation. He gets flushed due to interior pressure, scrambles to his right, makes a big throw downfield. So you started to see by around, say, week 13 or so, that confidence in his lower body again, which is going to lead to some of those big plays downfield. I mean, you know, the, the drop from 2017 to 2018, it is dramatic, but I think it was to be expected. I mean, yeah, you go from a touchdown percentage of 7.5 to 5.2 coming off of an injury. You're obviously going to reduce those splash type, scramble draw type plays. So you're going to see that. The QBR goes from 77.2 to 64.9. The A and Y 
of 7.43 down to 6.89. I mean, there's a bit of a dip. Mm. The other thing that happened was, in rewatching him last night, the sacks, they started to rack up a bit. I mean, sack percentage yeah. 6.0 in 2017, 7.2 in 2018. I saw a lot. I didn't chart this out, but I saw a lot off of play action yep. where you're trying to go downfield at times and you're holding on the ball a little bit too long. The Tennessee game had yeah. ones where he went to like boot and Tennessee was like really disciplined with it. And they caught him a couple times on that. You know, there are a couple against um, New Orleans, a um, couple of the Dallas games where you saw that as yep. well. Uh, Dallas in week 14, they opened early in the first quarter with a play action mesh design. Um, and he gets sacked on it. He doesn't really have a chance. So maybe there were some protection issues there up front as well that he had to deal with. And, and so you see some of the issues there. I mean, the other thing I do sort of want to point out is that and you wrote about this. Wentz still needs to get faster with his mind. He really yeah. does. And it maybe it's something that we should have expected. And maybe we kind of did expect it coming out of North Dakota State. He had a lot that he had to do mentally. He was given free reign at the line of scrimmage. And I think sometimes he was actually ahead of the game mentally when he was making reads because he knew what he was getting from the defense. I mean, everybody, when he was coming out in the draft, focused on this play where they were running four verticals and he sort of stares down his primary read. <laughs> and it's because he knew it was going to come open. And his feet just stopped, and, right? Yeah. You know the yeah, you know and the he's exact just way. Waiting. Yeah, it's because <laughs> his mind was ahead of the play. Yeah, he knew it was going to come open, but everybody was like, "His footwork is horrible." He stares down primary reads, and it's like, "Well, one of your jobs as a quarterback, if the primary read is open, is to throw it to him." Yeah. I mean, it's kind of in the job description, yeah. but he still needs to get faster. I mean, you wrote about it. I'm trying to find the play. It was, it was against Dallas in that Week 14 game. They had a dropping lineman into his zone, which allowed Leighton Vanderesh to stay over top on Ertz because he didn't have to take the cross. He didn't have to cut the crosser yeah. because it was like the pre-snap read didn't match the post-snap read. Yeah, that was one. There was another where he got hit and fumbled. This was late first half. It was a first and 10 with 59 seconds left. He sees cover two pre-snap, and it looks like Dallas rotates it to sort of a three buzz where one of the safeties drops down, the other rotates middle of the field. He's trying to go to a corner route, Y ISO, to I think it was Ertz on his right. left, yep. and it's covered well. But he's got somebody coming open on a curl route. If he throws it with anticipation, he makes a big play. Right. But he waits to see it that last half second. He gets hit and he fumbles. I mean, yeah. that's the stuff that he still needs to clean up. And, you know, when you've had sort of, you know, you, you miss 2017, you have the knee injury, then you're coming back from that. Maybe the mental reps weren't there, but that's what I want to see from him is to speed that up. Yeah, and that's an interesting play because I put that on the timeline and everyone was like, oh, he's staring down Ertz again. And we might have to talk about that narrative because, yeah, yeah I mean, he, he kind of – he knew what he was getting and he saw Ertz and he wanted the corner out. And what Dallas had done was put Byron Jones on Zach Ertz in right. key situations. I remember that exact play very, very well. Just a tick late. Just a, just yep. a tick late. And, and yeah, so, th so that's the interesting part about it. I mean – Mark, and I've we've touched on this game a couple of times here, but one of the games that I put on the timeline, you can go to my timeline at Michael Kiss NFL, and you can see a bunch of throws from this game that just, I, I mean, I saw everything I wanted to see. The one game that I watched in preparation, I mean, I watched several ones, but the one that I loved that didn't make any sense. It was the most confounding game of the season. There was no reason for the Eagles to lose this game. There was some overtime defensive failures on 4th and 15, 3rd and 19 in different situations, but all you see is the loss. Week 4 against Tennessee, that was Alshon Jeffrey's first game back from injury. Because remember, week 3 with Indianapolis, I agree with you, he was a bit rusty. Didn't have Alshon Jeffrey out there with him. He was a bit late on some things, didn't take some things that were right there for him. But this Tennessee game, man, 
That game had everything. He had bullets in between zones on third and 21, which was dropped, by the way. Back shoulder throws to Jeffrey. He had a laundry shoot throw to Jeffrey with pressure coming directly into his surgically repaired knee. Uh, the quarters beater to Jordan Matthews, the touchdown. He's had pressure coming. Wiz was beat initially. He had to shorten his delivery, and he just throws a beautiful throw to Matthews. Uh, big arm throws on deep outs. The blaze out to Jeffrey for the touchdown, where he just zips it in there. He can really put some sauce on that thing. Timing and rhythm with Ertz in the soft spots was beautiful. Ertz went off that game. He showed movement in the pocket to buy time. It had everything. I mean, it also had a bunch of drops, penalties, blown blocks, and protections that killed some drives, which is unfortunate because, I mean, the big narrative going in throughout the season was the Eagles weren't scoring in the first half. And you can look at that game and you can look at certain plays and go, well, yeah, that's why they didn't score on that drive they got put in a bad situation because of a penalty and then the blown you know we talked about the play action sacks and all that but all you see is a sub 100 quarterback rating and a loss and you get caught making judgments about his performance on that when it doesn't speak at all to the type of day that he had I mean a lot of people with Wentz and we can kind of talk about this with some of the listener questions too but everybody thinks about the Saints game which is fair it was his worst game that he's had as a pro probably even going back to college you might have to go back to high school to find a worse game but there is a stretch of play there for Wentz from even starting at week three to to get to like week 10. He was very, very good. And then there was some drop-off, but he was very, very good for a solid stretch of the year. And he can still make all those throws. He just didn't have all of the, the escaping, you know, magic trick type of plays at the high volume. What were some games that you saw? Did you watch that Tennessee game? Were there some other games that you might have watched where you saw some of the same things as far as like, this is what Wentz can be at his peak? Yeah, let's talk about that Tennessee game and that third and 21 throw to Nelson Aguilar, okay? (laughs) Because if you remember coming out of NDSU, again, one of the knocks was that Wentz couldn't use his eyes, right? Couldn't use his eyes to manipulate defenders. Couldn't use his eyes. Would stare things down. This is a third and 21. You're on your own, minus 25. They're showing you single high pre-snap. And then right at the snap, they've got their safety sort of that's lurking down near the box. He becomes sort of that Tampa 2 middle of the field guy. They drop a corner. So they rotate it into a little bit of an unconventional Tampa 2 coverage. So he's got to diagnose that. And he does it. He's got Aguilar as the number two receiver and a three receiver look to the right, running a post route. So post route against cover two, Tampa two, that's what you want to throw. Fine. But he's got to hold that other safety if he's going to throw that, right? Yeah. Because he's got number three, he's going to occupy that intermediate guy between the safeties. But you want that backside safety not to make a play on it. Once his entire drop, he is trained at the backside receiver. His field division is trained on that backside receiver. And you can see it. The end zone camera is looking straight ahead at his eyes. And his field division is trained to that backside receiver. He freezes that safety, hits his depth, climbs for one step, and then finally at the last second looks to Aguilar, uses his eyes perfectly, and throws an absolute rocket like right to his upfield shoulder, and it's dropped. Yep. This is one of those box score scouted moments because, like you said, people will look at the bottom line numbers and say, you had a bad game. All right, look at that play, though. Yeah. That's what you want to see from your quarterback. And yeah. the Tennessee game, it was fantastic. I mean, there were some other throws that he might have missed. He had a Yankee concept, a 12-15, a second and 10 in the second quarter. Yep. Slightly underthrows it, need a bit of a better throw, but sure. But then later he has a post-out concept. He's under duress. Perfect read, perfect throw. You saw some great pocket movement there. He had a third and 16 in the third quarter. <laughs> it's a bit late with the throw, but it's perfect velocity and placement. And a nice little subtle climb and fire there too. And so this Tennessee game was one of those where I remember when I watched it 
back after it happened. I was like, oh, Wentz is back. He's back. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. And we'll we'll talk about what happened after that and, and if we see the same drop off that maybe some other people are talking about. And we're going to take your prime listener questions after we get back from the break here on the QB Sco Show on Bleeding Green Nation. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And we are back on the QB Sco Show. Mark, I mean, there's a note here that I had that I wanted to talk about before we get into some of these listener questions because there's so many times when you when you talk with fans and they interact with you on the timeline and they may feel a certain way about a player or a prospect or whatever the case may be. And it's always in terms, not always, I don't I want to give some people some credit, but a lot of the times when the discussion around Wentz comes up and, and people are mad because the team is losing and, and, and it kind of colors everything, they'll say certain things like, oh, he's not accurate anymore. Oh, he can't move. He can't throw the deep ball. He's staring down Ertz. And there's all these different talking points that come up that are just so black and white to me. Like there can be a middle ground to that. And, and I think some of those narratives are just so overblown. And I, and I look at the Sports Info Solutions stats and, and I see the intermediate to deep ball accuracy for Wentz actually went up last year, which is crazy. It just the Eagles weren't winning. I mean, according to the Pro Football Focus QB annual, Wentz was ranked fifth in adjusted completion percentage at 78.5%. That was up up from 69.6% in 2017. Wentz was a doggone accurate quarterback. I mean, we forget for most of the season before he was injured, he was over 70% completion percentage. He was over 7.0 yards per attempt. So it's not like he was, you know, throwing a bunch of short stuff. And he was over a 100 quarterback rating. Only five only five quarterbacks in history. And I got to check and make sure that Breeze didn't do this last year, but he was on pace to do it. Him and Matt Ryan were the only other two quarterbacks on pace to do it. 70% completion rate, seven yards per attempt. 100 quarterback rating. Only five quarterbacks have done that in history. And for a stretch, Carson Wentz was doing that last year. So it's weird to me that people just got so upset with him and saw things in black and white. And it just it, it makes it hard to have a discussion when you're constantly having to defend against nonsense. And I'm sure you get it with Tom Brady all, all the time, too, right? Yeah, I mean, you do. What's interesting is, you know, recency bias does magical things to the perception of a player. And, yeah. you know, you mentioned that Saints game. And that was a game, you know, their 10th game of the season, and they needed it. Obviously, it was a huge, you know, America's game of the week type situation. And he goes out and throws three picks. Yeah. You know, he goes out and completes, you know, 57% of his passes. By and large, his worst completion percentage of the season, 156 yards. By and large, his worst yardage output of the season. Quarterback rated of 319 
by and large, his worst quarterback rate. And it was his worst game, period. Yeah. That sort of framed everybody's perception of it. So much so that when I sat down to sort of revisit his year last night, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, that, that Saints game, that's kind of how it ended for him. It was a really bad performance, and that's what he went out on. And then I'm reminded that, look, the next week, they beat the Giants, and he throws for a touchdown, a clean game. Right. You know, the week after that, they beat the Redskins. He goes two for one, you know, two touchdowns, one interception. And then they have the overtime loss his last game of the year against Dallas, where he throws for three touchdowns, no interceptions, and it's his best quarterback rating game, 120.3 of the year. And he was doggone good that he was he was so good in week 14. Like that's that's what I, that was his last game. Yeah. How is that not cut? Because there was an overtime loss and yeah. the offense never got to see the field. Yeah. Because the defense gave up so many freaking long di- and that's an upsetting game. But yeah, and, good point, and by the way, at the competition committee meetings. There was a team that submitted a request to change the overtime rule so that both teams get a possession. And let me check. I'm checking my notes here, and I got a producer in my ear tell me, no, it wasn't the Eagles. It was the Chiefs. But the <laughs> Eagles had a chance to complain about that too because you look like you said. They never saw the ball. And that was a pretty big yeah. loss for them at that time. Yes, they still got in, but still. Their odds went down to like less than 1% at that point to make the playoffs. You know, that Saints game, I think – really sort of misshaped everybody's perception of Wentz's 2018 season. So and it, I'm saying it did it to me too because I had completely yeah. forgotten about his next three games and I had forgotten about how good he was in that Dallas game. Yeah, it just – it has the ability to – when you have such a big-time game like that and it's billed as Wentz versus Breeze and, and Wentz goes right. and lays a stinker, which might be, you know – He was bad in that game. There's a discussion we had about, you know, clutch and like all these other intangible things and, and whatnot. But, I mean, you have to look at the whole – and even you, as somebody who studies quarterbacks and watches them all the time and whatnot, you admit that, you know, that colored it for you, that colored it yeah. for the national audience. And and there's a question here. Let, let's get to some questions because this is a good transition here because there, there's one that kind of talks about this. Let's get to the prime listener questions. Order, good people shouting. There will be an opportunity for other points of order, but the Prime Minister must and will be heard. Order, order. Mark, you reached out to the gentle listeners, said if they had any questions to send them over. So let's talk about it. There was there was one I want to hit up that kind of talks about what we were talking about. And we come now. Now I'm not. I did, if it, oh, very well. It's from Marcos Levy at Marco S L A eleven. Has Wentz become an underrated quarterback? With all of the Foles talk and his injuries, I think so. I mean, I think that's completely fair to say. He's not being talked about at all right now. And it's all, and, and it's understandably all about Patrick Mahomes, all about uh, Baker Mayfield, the, the, the young quarterbacks coming up. But I mean, there's nothing that tells me that if Wentz takes a step forward this year and plays at his 2017 level where he was an MVP discussion, that he can't be talked about in that same tier. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I, I think there is a sense that he's underrated right now. And it partly stems from the fact that, look, what were we just talking about? So many people had their minds focused and trained on that New Orleans game that people forgot about the way he actually played last season. That one game has colored everybody's perception of his 2018 campaign. Now with Mahomes, now with Baker and everything that Cleveland has done, obviously you could make a case that some other teams are loaded up as well. You're going to get Garoppolo back with some weapons for him. Nobody's talking about this guy. People are talking more about Nick Foles than they are yeah. about Carson Wentz. People are wondering if Wentz has sort of some pressure on him or anything like that, but they're not talking about the fact that he had a pretty good year, a great way to end the season, even though, look, they lost that game. That was his final game. And so, yeah, I think there's a sense that he is sort of underrated right now. And it's so weird how narratives form. And I think with Wentz, 
there is always going to be this narrative that coming from an FC, FCS school, he was not going to be good enough. Maybe we've seen now with injuries and they won a Super Bowl when he was in street clothes, maybe he'll never be good enough. But at the same time, let's think back to how he started his career. Yeah. I mean, the Wentz wagon, Wentzylvania, they were gangbusters out of the gate. You had the vice president of the United States talking about him. Yeah. And, you know, then they suffer through the you know traditional rookie stumbles and they finished seven and nine, but they were competitive down the stretch. They never quit. That's why it went into the 2017 season when a lot of people were saying, look at how that year ended, you know, 16 touchdowns, 14 picks. Like yeah. he's not going to be that good. I'm like, I'm cautiously optimistic that he is going to have a very good season. I was on an Eagles podcast and I said that yeah. when everybody else was saying, look, he's a bust. And then he comes out and has an MVP type season until he gets hurt. Yeah. And now people are saying, wasn't good enough. He's not going to be good enough. Look at that Saints game. I'm just saying, I am back to being cautiously optimistic <laughs> about Carson Wentz yet again. Just to clarify, Mark is not an Eagles fan. No, I'm not an Eagles fan. Look, you guys beat the Patriots in a Super Bowl. Yeah. I, I'll tell you this, Mike. I prep for these shows. You know, I, I do my homework for the Eagles fans. And I wanted to come on here and play a quick little game with you. Come out here and say, look, I got some bad news, Eagles fans. He's not good anymore. He's going to be a bust. And I was going to do it just to get you riled up. Like that scene in Miracle where Herb Brooks, when they have their opening round game and the player is injured and it's the first intermission and he screams at him to get dressed again and then he like says he's going to kick him out and the locker room is crazy and Herb Brooks walks away. He's like, you think that's going to get him going? Like he just did it to get everybody angry. I was going to try to do that with you, but I couldn't do it because yeah. I have, and I kid you not, I have three jerseys in my closet right now from starting NFL quarterbacks. I have a Tom Brady jersey, which people would probably expect. I have a Deshaun Watson jersey, and I have a Carson Wentz jersey. <laughs> I like this guy. I yeah. like this guy. I love it. All right, another question here. Let's go to the prime listener questions. Sean at Sean from Seabeck, who is a, who's a good dude. He's Seahawks Twitter. Don't hold it against him. Do you think Wentz's red zone efficiency is a sustainable trait of his play, or is he likely to regress? What are your thoughts on the amount of play action used by Philadelphia? They seem to use it near the top of the NFL, but complete a below average amount. So I, I have a problem with, with the play action thing there that, that I want to talk about because they were towards the top of the league for play action use. Carson Wentz was 30.4% of his concepts of his passing plays were play action. That's third in the league, only behind Lamar Jackson and Jared Goff. He also completed... 73.9%, which is fourth in the league. And his yards per attempt was fourth in the league at 10 yards. Now, Foles was lower in the yards per attempt because I think they upped the usage of their RPO concepts, of their zero and one step fake little handoff concepts and whatnot. And Football Outsiders talked about this in the summer where they said, you know, effectiveness for yards per attempt typically goes up with play action. It's not happening for the Eagles because there's so many RPO concepts where it's one step, get rid of the ball. So I think that's what we're seeing there. You might have meant, you know, the, the yards per attempt are down. As far as the red zone, I think you saw uh, a red zone dip from him. And, you know, we talked about the big time throw percentage where his big time throws cut in half in the red zone for Wentz. From 2017 to 2018, overall, he was went from second in big-time throw percentage to 17th. And then in the red zone, I think he only had what was something like 18 touchdowns last year. So I think we already saw a bit of a regression to the mean in that respect. However, what I will say is that the Eagles are so darn good at scheming things up in the red zone and getting guys isolated on favorable matchups that I don't think it's necessarily going to be a thing that Wentz can really just like – 
take too hard of a dip on because everything is made the picture is built really clear for him on what he's looking for pre-snap when he gets into the red zone mark you know the red zone thing let's start there because i think it's a similar situation to the sort of regression to the mean that we saw overall from him from 2017 to 2018 2017 in the red zone he went 37 of 57 for 64.91% completion percentage, 277 yards, 23 touchdowns, 28 first downs, no interceptions, no sacks for a quarterback rating of 116. I mean, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Now, how do you, yeah, let's look at 2018 in the red zone, 33 of 52 for 60% completion percentage, 221 yards, 18 touchdowns, 20 first downs, one interception for a quarterback rating of 100.8. He's regressed, but it was still his best split by field position by far. Even better yeah. than it was inside the opponent's 1-10. to 10. And what's mm-hmm. interesting is the adjusted yards per attempt. It was in 2018, it was 12.93, which is just absurd. And that goes to the touchdowns. <laughs> you know, and it dips again to 9.75. Again, his best adjusted yards per attempt by field position of any of the splits. And so the numbers have been great. Obviously, in 2017, he just came back a bit, but that's to be expected. It's hard to sort of duplicate that kind of production, even though, like you said, they do such a great job scheming things up. And, and, and it's interesting that he thinks that there's that there's room for more regression because he was actually he actually did regress in 2018. Yeah. It's just still really freaking good. Like he could go back up this year. Right, he could, especially if he has that mobility, because that's yeah. one of the areas of the field where it really helps. Because in the red zone, inside the 10, everything's compressed and everything happens faster. But if you get that ability to buy some time with one step, it's hard to cover guys in the end zone lawn into a play because you kind of run out of room and a short, quick move is going to make a huge difference. Yeah. You can buy that time with your feet, you know, so that's going to, I think, play a huge role. The other thing, the play action stuff, I think what's interesting is, you know, I'm looking at football outsiders right now, you know, play action offense charting and play action yards per play. Philly used it third most in the league by percentage. It was the Rams at 36%, Seattle at 33%, Philly at 32%, New England at 31%. Now, play action yards per play, you know, the Rams 9.4, they were second overall. Seattle was 9.0, they were fifth. Mm -hmm. New England, we'll skip the Eagles for a second. New England 9.8, they were first. And actually, New England had a huge jump on yards per play on play action versus non-play action. It went from 6.2 on non-play action to 9.8, which is a huge jump, like 3.6. And that was the biggest jump out of all their charted. But then we come to the Eagles, 8.1, which was 14th. And so I think that gets to a couple of things. And I don't know in terms of whether I can test this hypothesis. I'd have to chart them all out. But I do wonder if there was a sack element because I mentioned it earlier in the show. It felt like rewatching once last night. A lot of the times when they were using play action, he was ended up sacked. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was protection issues. I don't know if it was just play designs. If you're going Yankee or something, you're looking to go downfield. That's a bit longer of a play. And a quick note, you, you watched the Saints game and Wiz had to go in at center. Wisniewski had to go in at center for Kelsey because I think he dislocated his elbow or something. And it was like a third and four or third and three. And, and, and the Twitter blew up because they ran play action. But they got the matchup that they wanted with Ertz. They just blew up. I mean, they had Max Protect. They just blew a block. So that that's yeah. an interesting aspect of it too. Yeah, it was the third and three of the second quarter. Yeah. Where they went zero blitz with a free safety double in somebody. I yep. think he was doubling. I'm not sure who he was doubling. It was somebody on the right. They sugar the A gap. Both guys came and yeah. both guys got home. 
And Wentz had like no prayer. Yeah. And, and then, you know, something that I wrote about in the offseason about how they could protect him was using a lot of those play action and, and then cutting down the time to throw, which they started to do in week 14, interestingly enough. I'm like, look, they got to protect this guy. Let You know, he'll hold up longer or whatnot. Cut that time to throw down under 2.5 seconds. Reduce it like he did at the end of the last year. And they didn't do it until week 14. And then Foles comes in and Foles gets 46% of his dropbacks, which are RPOs or zero to one step concepts where he's getting the ball out in like 2.19 seconds. And next thing you know, we're not taking any more sacks. So it was interesting to me that the way that they treated Wentz not to do more of that earlier in the season. I'd be totally fine taking a hit on play action yards per attempt as long as you're keeping your quarterback upright. You're letting him see the field and be, and be more of a facilitator and protect him a little bit more. Hopefully they do that and they keep that in mind next season. I, I, anything else on that note before I get to the last question here, Mark? I, I think we hit that one. I'm just surprised that Sean didn't ask us a question about punting. Okay, because Chuck Zotta, may he rest in peace, my old good friend over at Inside the Pylon, who isn't doing so much football work right now. He started the trend of talking about punters. Sean has taken it to the next level. He does fantastic work covering punters. So if any of the gentle listeners are interested in the punting game, go follow Sean. Hey, Daniel Jones, two pooch kicks inside of the 20 this year. That's why he's QB1, baby. It's a dangerous element. He's a weapon. It's an element. He's something. <laughs> it's an element. He is a football player. <laughs> he's technically a football player. Thank you for a job. Yeah. Done. Oh, I hate what I'm doing. Andrew Buckman at Buckmandrew says, regarding Wentz, he doesn't seem to throw many interceptions, but his fumbling issues seem to be a major problem. I would agree there. Is this something he can slash will improve on over over his career, or is it something fans should just come to expect? And I remember there were a lot of fumbles on his rookie tape, and that started to become an issue last year. I mean, there were a couple of weird instances where, like, Lane Johnson would have Marcus Hunt blocked up, and Hunt would just, like, w- would, like reach over as Wentz is going to fire, and the ball comes out. Uh, that was, I, I feel, I, it's just like a kind of like a feel for the pocket type of thing. It happened against the Titans, too, where he just got racked by Harold Landry. Lane Johnson got blown by. There's not much you can do about that, but is there is there something in Wentz's game, Mark? Because fumbles are like the most volatile stat out there. They're not steady typically year to year. But does Wentz have a fumbling problem that we should be concerned about? The thing that he needs to get better at it is something we touched upon earlier is the mental clock, the internal clock. Yeah. Because Wentz has that sort of play style where he wants to fight in the pocket. Yeah. You know, he wants to sort of fight and extend plays and move around and create and you know, going back to his days as a junior at North Dakota State, you know, I remember when Matt Waldman and I sat down and broke him down in, in the film room, his junior tape, that national championship game. One of the things we said was like, look, some of the competitive toughness that we see here where he's fighting for extra yardage and things like that, that's fantastic. But it's like Willie Mays Hayes. That's great. Don't ever do it again. The honorable gentleman has got to learn the art of patience. And if he is patient, if he deploys Zen, he will find that it is ultimately to everybody's advantage. You know, because it's going to get you hurt in the National Football League. And that's sometimes what you see with him, where he's trying to fight to make something extra happen in the pocket, rather than just sometimes you got to pull a Peyton man and then turtle a bit and live for the second down or third down or get off the field and punt and don't put your defense in a bad situation. Yeah. And so he needs to sort of learn that. And he does need to get faster. I mean, one of the plays we talked about was that fumble he had near the end of the first half against Dallas, where if he comes off Ertz a bit faster and throws that curl route in the middle of the field with anticipation, they make a big play. But instead, he's just a step or two late. Then he gets hit because the pressure finally gets home. 
and you have the sack fumble situation. You know, we yeah. talk a lot about how for a defensive back, it's hard to cover a guy two, three, four, five, six seconds into a play. It's hard for offensive linemen to hold their blocks for two, three, four, five, six seconds, especially when you're expecting the ball to get out. You know, it's a five-step concept. You're thinking the ball is going to be out in three seconds. Right. And it's not. And you got a guy like Jason Peters that's struggling to stay healthy, that's struggling to sustain blocks like that. And Vitae comes in, has the same issues. So, yeah, I mean, that definitely is a problem. Yeah. And look, I mean, I'm a quarterback, but sometimes the quarterback, you know, quarterback gets sacked. It's on us. It's not yeah. on the offensive line. You know, we've got to do a better job getting the ball out. We've got to do a better job getting through our reads. And I think that's the issue with Wentz in terms of fumbles. It's not a head size issue or anything like that. I mean, he's a big dude, but it's the play style. And it's the process and speed. He cleans those up, gets a little bit safer. Now, that gets us to a question, do you really want to change who he is? Right. Because some of what has made Carson Wentz who he is, is that willingness to fight in the pocket, that play strength in the pocket, that fight or flight decision that sometimes quarterbacks face in the pocket where rather than turtle up or escape, he wants to sit there and fight. It's some of what's made him great. So maybe the thing to focus on is the process and speed because maybe you don't want to change who he is. You don't want to change what's gotten to where he is, but you do get faster. And that will, I think, negate some of these examples of him getting hit and fumbling in the pocket. Do you think he should be running more of an offense like they ran with Foles with the quicker concepts to kind of force him to be like, okay, here's what we got for you. Be a facilitator. Use your weapons. If you get one-on-one with Alshon, throw it up. Should they – cater the offense more to that and kind of I don't I don't want to because I don't want to take the sword out of his hand but at the same time I do want to protect him and kind of limit those situations from possibly happening and hopefully make the offense more efficient yeah and you know when he came out I think that look like he's more of a west coast intermediate type of guy Mm. He can do some stuff downfield from time to time, sure. But I think that kind of offense, with the, sort of what they did with Foles, getting the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker, having to be a bit of a facilitator at times, I think it does make some sense. Because look, arm strength, the quickest ball placement in the short areas and all that stuff, I think he does that pretty well. Yeah. The one that we didn't get to, and we're just going to take, we got time to talk about this. We can do it in another show this summer or something, maybe a season preview type thing. Man versus zone. I like it. Because I do yeah. wonder if he's a better quarterback against zone, which kind of is to be expected. I mean, you're going to have more natural holes and things like that. But that's something I want to dive into over the summer is Wentz versus man, Wentz versus zone. That's just the sense I got rewatching him. The numbers might prove me completely wrong, but I, I sort of yeah. felt that way. Yeah, we're going to dig into it throughout the summer. We'll do some seasonal previews and whatnot. But I think we did a good job talking about Wentz's overall game without being too black and white, too hyperbolic. I mean, I think that gives you a good sense of who Wentz is as a quarterback. He's garbage. He's done he's a bust <laughs> uh, some of those takes were flying and they will be flying yet again we got screenies we got receipts <laughs> we got it all can't wait man can't wait to just start dunking on oh, yeah. people it's gonna be amazing it's nothing better than a good dunk that's gonna do it thank you so much for listening to the qb sco show episode 18 here on bleeding green nation remember go to apple Podcasts if you haven't yet Leave your review. If you leave a funny one, we'll probably read it on the Kiss and Solak show. Be mean to Ben. It's fine. I mean, he's he's got a chip on his shoulder right now because Adam Schefter just tweeted out his Draft Network yeah. article on Caleb McGarry, which is what a day for the brand. So happy for Ben. I know he was thrilled. So now we're going to take him down a peg. He's, he's gonna, he was so excited. I thought he was just going to burst into stardust. So now we're going to crush those dreams. He's exactly. young. He's idealistic. He's naive. Let's ruin it for him. He needs to know how Life the world works. Life is pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it. So that's been the QB Sco Show. Thank you so much for listening.
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.